Blog Talk Radio. for joining us tonight on Now Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Nancy, tonight, and I'm with my wonderful co-host, Kim Lakin. And if you'd like to be a free to call in, 646-595-2118. Again, that number to call in is 646-595-2118. We are on scan number 3091, and we have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Edna Saylor, and I cannot wait to hear her testimony, hear her story, very powerful uh, survivor story. Uh, so definitely looking forward to hear from scan number is 3091. You can always find us on nasca.org, and the phone number to call in again. 646-595-2118. We'd love to have you join us if you have any comments, questions, or just to show support. Sometimes people come online and um, they really don't want to speak. They just want to listen, and you're welcome to do that as well. Or uh, if you're thinking about sharing your story, this is definitely a good way to get started. You come in, you listen to other stories, and then uh, start to kind of see how the flow goes and See if you are feeling comfortable enough coming forward and sharing your testimony. I want to start with the bio for the mission statement for tonight. Our mission statement is that we have a single purpose at NASCA, to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, bring hope and healing through numerous paths providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, 
and recovery. Again, we are on scan number 3091. If you'd like to be a part of the panel today and show your support, and you can definitely join us at 646-595-2118. We have a special guest tonight. Her name is Ms. Edna Saylor. I'm not sure if she's on yet, Ms. Um, Ms. Kim. Pardon me? Kim, she's with a, with a caller on the other line. I was checking if she was back. Uh, we do have a special guest, and uh, her name is Ms. Edna tonight. I'm going to check if Kim is back yet. Hi, Kim, are you back yet? Um, yes. But go ahead and okay, yeah, go ahead and read the bio. Sure. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you want to read the bio? Oh, no, I was asking you to because I wasn't getting an answer from you. Oh, okay. Yeah, you want to go ahead and hear you. All right. Okay. Yes, <laughs> Special guest is Edna Taylor from North Dakota, a child abuse survivor who was 71 years old when she published her uh, first 75 novel. 75 now. I'm 75 now. Okay. You're 75 now. Were you 71 when you published the first novel? Uh, it was published in 2016. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It says yeah. here. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. first novel was published at seventy-one. The first one. Okay. And the name of that novel is Alfalfa Girl. Yes. Okay. The path from childhood molestation to soul. She wrote the book at a time she was going through several life-threatening illnesses. Edna explains that the last few years have been a difficult time for me, listening to print models politicians, and televangelists, excuse me, continue to pour out their disturbing comments about sexual assault. Her book is fiction, but every sexual abuse incident depicted in uh, is based on real crimes Edna witnessed or was told directly about by other survivors. Alfalfa Girl is the inner soul of the fictional teacher and mentor, Emily Sorrento, reflecting Edna, who goes through a painful but illuminating journey of self-discovery about the, the impact of repeated child abuse. Edna herself is a survivor of five separate persons before the age of, of about 11. All her abusers were either relatives, or close family friends. She was too fearful to tell about the abuse and did not think anyone would believe her. In her adult life, Edna spent thousands of dollars on therapy to deal with the feelings of worthlessness and dirtiness she lived with and the bad girl label she earned before seeking help. She was able to earn three undergraduate degrees and a master's degree while raising her three children and six grandchildren. Edna says she she wanted to write this book for 50 years, and now in her 70s, she's outlived all her abusers. I am so hoping my book can bring hope and encouragement to victims and survivors. She wants to educate families about the importance of creating 
an environment where children feel free to disclose abuse. Man, that was so powerful. Wow. I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, your your testimony, really. Thank you for joining us, Ms. Edna. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, and thank you for sharing your strength and your bravery. It's not an easy thing to do. It doesn't really matter the age. Talking about sharing your story, it, it takes a lot of uh, inner strength. So we just, again, want to thank you. You're welcome. Protecting children. That's what we want to do. We want to protect children. Yes. And you, and you said here you want to create a safe environment. You want people to feel safe coming forward and disclosing their abuse. Uh, for many yep. years, you said, yep, for many years here, you said that you didn't feel safe disclosing the abuse when it was happening. Um, can you take us just a little bit <clears throat> into your years when you were going through this? Tell us a little bit about I what you grew up. I can't hear you, ma'am. Earlier years. I can't hear oh, okay. your question. You... Okay. Could you hear me now? Yes. Okay. If you can just tell us a little bit about your earlier years growing up, you know, a little bit of your family dynamic, your earlier years, that would be that would be really helpful to us. Um, I get to that eventually. Um, let me start with the fact that um, I was sexually molested five times in my life by the age of eleven. And uh, that all of the people in my life were known to me. Three were relatives and two were unknown, were known to my family. And back in the day, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. You didn't dare tell. You didn't dare say anything. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I grew up in a a family of 10. But at the time these molestations were happening, there were like four or five of us. But there just was no opportunity um, for that to happen. In my presentation, I talk about, um, I, I always say, I'm old enough to have um, gone to the bathroom in an outdoor toilet. And one of my um, worst experiences happened in an outdoor toilet. And uh, the man came into the um, into the toilet and the... Crime happened, and let me just say right now, we are not going to mince words here. These are crimes, rape and incest and, and uh, molestation are crimes. And one of the things, one of the pieces of information I try to share is I try to make sure that we aren't trying to pretty up this language, oh, Uncle John, you know, he's just like that. No, these are crimes. They are crimes against children. And those are the crime, and those are the things that I experienced growing up that I didn't dare tell anybody about. You're right, and those are crimes. A lot of times we we're so ashamed of it, or we try to, like you said, dress it up, and we don't use the right terminology. But people need to get well. The we, don't in their mind. we don't These know. We don't know the right terminology. Right. As children, we don't know the right no. terminology. We don't. We can't articulate. Um, when I start talking about my book, um, talk about the fact that uh, I use I use a visual, and it's a brick through a 
brick through a plate glass window and that what it shatters and uh mm-hmm. that's kind of what happens to us is we things about us kind of get shattered into pieces that we don't understand and that's that's mm-hmm. how I grew up I didn't understand why I was the way I was I didn't understand pieces of it very much so that that brick through the glass window is how I usually tell my my participants um mm-hmm. Changes your self-image. You think you're the dirty, filthy little girl. Um, I grew up in in a household where once one time um, my parents caught my brother and I. It was normal curiosity, normal normal curiosity between a sibling, a little boy, my brother and my me. And then so it was you, dirty, filthy little girl. You dirty, filthy little girl. Just for that, you won't go to church on Sunday. You won't go to Sunday school anymore because Jesus wouldn't want you in his, Jesus would not want you in his um, church. And mm-hmm. she didn't say that to me. She didn't say that to my brother, but she said it to me. I didn't get to go to, mm-hmm. I didn't get to go to Sunday school for many, many weeks, but he did. So you see the di- the difference in attitudes of the time and you see the attitudes mm-hmm. about this sort of thing. Um, I didn't know as that little girl, um, I, I wanted I wanted to know from my little brother why he had a handle and why I didn't. And so that attitude that prevailed at the time when I was growing mm-hmm. up uh, was completely devoid. There was no understanding. There just was no understanding about these things. And so the punishments, the the attitudes were brutal during those days. And like I said, it's a long time ago because I went to, to the bathroom in an outdoor toilet back then. Right. You said something that was very important, you know, for us to remember. Boys were and sometimes are still are treated differently than the girls. You really yes. noticed that difference in the treatment yes. in the family. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there was no well, repercussion was, for his behavior? Pardon me? Uh-huh. Was there any repercussion for his part in the behavior? No. No, he got to go to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Well, we both got beaten, but he got to go to Sunday school mm-hmm. and I didn't. That's the prevailing attitudes of the time, and none of which were very helpful back in the day ancient history kind of role. It looks a lot different. You know, I have to tell you that when I've been doing presentations around the state in North Dakota on my book and on molestation, Mm -hmm. and so many times after my session, elderly women in their 70s and 80s would come up to me just crying and say, can I tell you my story? I never told. I never told. Mm -hmm. I never told anyone. And then the fact that mine occurred over time, there's another thing, too, in terms of family. In terms of the abuse growing over time, um, I always say it's an inside job because three were, three were um, relatives and two were, un, were known to the family. But um, at age 11, I matured very early. I was, by 11, I was, you know, my body was changing. I was becoming 
a young woman. And uh, the very last molestation I had was at about 11. And by that time, one of the confusing things for me was that everything else had been painful. Every other episode, but the last one at age 11 was pleasurable. Now think about that. Think about the confusion Mm -hmm. in a puberty-aged child. And suddenly... All of these things where you've had your, your yourself violated, violated, and all of a sudden, um, there's this pleasure, and I I cannot begin to tell you the confusion in my mind. That whole brick through the glass window. I'm going to talk about this again. Throwing the brick through the glass mm-hmm. window. The glass gets shattered, and the pieces are very different for every person. The shattering that happens during the crime is very different for very many people, for every person. And in mine, um, confusion, confusion, confusion about um, clean and dirty, about sexuality and just plain normal body functions, um, all of that, those those mm-hmm. pieces. And I always say, if you try to put that window back together again, would you would it hurt would you get hurt? Well, of course you would. And because you've got some big pieces that are very obvious to you and you have some other smaller pieces that aren't so obvious and then you have pieces as small as a tiny grain of sand. And so in terms of my PTSD, depending on whether it landed on a tiny little grain of glass or a great big shard of grass would would pretty much determine, you know, what stage of PTSD I would go through. Right. Um, um, you know, you're saying, you're talking about the pieces, the broken pieces, and that's definitely a great analogy. Um, it's like a puzzle, you know, and, and these pieces are very, very sharp. How do you, how do you, how do you, <laughs> figure out where they go, where these pieces go back when you're trying to heal and you're trying to come back together. And sometimes in our healing process, it's just people are so, you know, uh, they're hard on us, not understanding that, you know, it's a lot of work, that it, it takes a lot of work to put these pieces back together. I know Ms. Kim wanted to um, ask some questions or share. Ms. Kim? Thank you, Dr. Nancy. Hi, Ms. Edna. Hello. We met on the other line. Hi. Okay. Um, you know, the uh, <laughs> I was I was on hold and I pushed mute on my phone because I didn't want to laugh so hard, but I was laughing so hard when you said he had a handle and I didn't. And I was like, Dr. Nancy, why mm-hmm. aren't you laughing? <laughs> oh, I was, but I was like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I know. I've never heard that before. Anything. I mean, it's normal. <laughs> yeah, I'm not offended that you think it was a hand about that. That what that demonstrates <laughs> for all of us is the innocence. Yeah. What that demonstrates yeah. Is, is a child's innocence. Yeah. And then what happens yeah. to that innocence? What happens to that innocence over and time? How old were you when it started? Just you. You can't remember specifically. Say, you know, it's just from whenever. Fuzzy part. 
let's go back to putting the pieces together because putting the pieces together, I don't have, I'm saying, I've, I've said four or five is when I remember the very first is what I remember. And four or five, then up until 11 is the last one I remember. Um, some pieces, it's, let's go back to the broken window, are so small, that little grain of, that little grain of sand piece of glass that I cannot remember. But my, what I've been able okay. to come to is four or five. And it had to be that age because it was before okay. we moved, my family moved, and it was somebody known to my family. Yeah. Have been at that point. Yeah. I was just curious if I didn't hear it or if that if you had said it. I I know for me, I know that the first instance that I remember, I was like four or five, but it wasn't yep. a big thing. And it, I mean, it, you know, context put into context. Um, but it was something that introduced me to sex. However. I remember at about five or six, like, inserting things. And you don't just do that, I think, at that age unless you're taught. And so I don't – so there's things that I forget, too, that I just don't even remember. I was like, wow, you know, looking back as an adult going, that wasn't right. But it was – you know, so you just start putting pieces together, and it's it's interesting how – how that all happens. Well, that's, and that's the loss of the innocence that's as true. far as I'm concerned. That's the loss of the innocence. Right. And then, and, and I, I never look at it like I was introduced to sex. I look at it like I was introduced to crime, criminal behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that, yeah. that in no way on God's green earth was sex ever intended to be like that, especially to a child, mm-hmm. especially to a four-year-old right. child. Right, especially for Yeah. Let's, Call it yeah. what it is, criminal behavior. I insist that we call it I, criminal I, behavior. I <laughs> okay, we're going to call it criminal behavior. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Yeah. So true. Well, and, and, I and look true. forward, yeah. Well, and then, um, mm-hmm. like many victims that I talk to, in my presentations across the state, that self-hatred. The, the reason that the book Alfalfa Girl is so important to me because it allowed me to work out a part where I I could stop hating the little girl in me. Because I hated her. She's a dirty, filthy little girl. Her mother told her so, and she believed her. And then the minister at our church, see, by by 13, I'm going to church school, because I, I take, in the book, I really take religion out for to the to the work, to the um, back workshop, to the back, dead because my minister says um, if you people are putting your hands on each other you're going to go to hell and I believed him but it Mm. wasn't that by that time I had five perpetrators so what do you do with that again that confusion again that not understanding your own space or your own body or your own human being, that social messaging that keeps coming. Um, While I was writing the book, I just got close to my notes here. While I was writing the book, there was um, a preacher from the South who said that incest is a gift from God. Now, I don't know what Bible that man studies on, 
But, <clears throat> I, I tell you, you know, it's very destructive to have those people weighing in in that manner. And then um, there was a politician who said he didn't understand why when a woman was being raped, why she didn't just lean back and enjoy it. Are you oh. kidding me? And then the, the one that really bothers me a lot is that I, have some, I know someone who told me that, you know what, if it wasn't these girls wearing these skimpy clothes, these, 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 um, this rape would never happen. And wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. That's not squaring with what the facts are. The facts are that mm-hmm. rape is premeditated. There's an, a, this, that is going to happen. That is going to happen. And it's not because the girl has tight clothes on or a low neckline or anything like that. So stop putting the crime on the child. And when, right. I, when I do my workshops, and I'm sorry to be so forceful about this, but, I'm, but I keep hearing from people in my workshops, stop putting the, chime on the, stop putting the crime on the child. The crime belongs to the perpetrator. And let's and just for a moment, can I can I talk about my my feelings about um, perpetrators? Perpetrators manipulate. Mm-hmm. Manipulate. They mm-hmm. they know the they know the playground very well, and they know um, they need two things in my view to um, cr- to create the opportunity for the crime, and that is isolation and secrecy. Mm-hmm. And you know they threaten or they do whatever they have to do to, to make you be quiet so you don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. Um, mm-hmm. um, so those, that social messaging and those messages that we get from people, bad information that's out there, and I worked very, very hard, um, very, very hard in my workshops across the state to, make, to, to create good information and good um, uh, fact, factual information so that people can make rational decisions about their life. Um, two themes that run through the book are the feeling dirty, um, going out to the uh, alfalfa field. You go out to the alfalfa field to feel clean, to run away, to hide. And there's a line in the book that says, and she hid right there in plain sight, and she would for the rest of her life. And that's my, that's me. That, that line comes from me. Um, mm. I'd like to share something from the book, if we have time. Yes, do we have we time do. to Okay. We I do. Want to go back to we have, we have a panel. We have a panel, so I want to make sure that we get a few comments because, you know, we have a few people listening. So before we go any deeper, if they want to catch anything before, is it okay if I open up for them to ask any questions? Before we get to the book so we can focus on the book. All right. So um, I see Ms. Lori's here. Um, Ms. Lori, would you like to say anything, share, make a comment, or ask a question? You could join us if you like. I absolutely think that. You're amazing, if you don't mind me calling you, Edna. Um, oh, thank you. I, I knew, um, you know, my grandmother, of course, I knew things happened to her, but it was never said. And to hear right. you talk about it and be so um, wanting to, you know, spread the word and look out, 
for everybody else is totally mind-blowing to me. Um, so that's the amazing part. Then I have the sad part to think that what happened to me, you know, hap- just keeps happening. And with your story and your age, um, I'm 65, and my, I was born to a, my father was a pedophile, and I was his mm-hmm. obsession. This is why um, I'm, I'm understanding so much of what you're saying. Um, oh, and I definitely I relate to the crime version of this because, yeah, it is a crime. And uh, and we're still fighting, you know, to stop it. So what you're doing, what you've done, what you're doing with your workshops, yeah, you blow me away. Oh, well, thank you so much. And uh, I thank God for the strength. It is It is God-given strength, I think, to be able to do it and wanting to protect children. That, that's the driving force and that I think we all share and share it well. Wow. Going back okay. to the... So we... Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead. Um, I wanted to know... So we have uh, two more people on the line. I'm not sure. They may just want to listen, which is fine. But um, if you guys would like to... One of you guys would like to come in and share. Please feel free to come in and share. Yeah, we have another 701 area code, like, Uh yeah, like Edna. (laughs) So it might be one of your friends. 701 number (laughs) and an 813 number as well. Okay. Not right now. It's okay if you guys just want to listen. Okay. Yeah, not a problem. All right, Ms. Edna, you can take us to the book. Okay, I just want to go back because of the alfalfa grill. One of the questions that I'm most asked most often is, "What is it up? What's up with this alfalfa field? What, what about the alfalfa grill?" And it comes from the alfalfa field where I used to run and, and nest. And so I just want to read that package and passage. And this is Emily. There are two main characters in the book. Emily is the adult, and Jenny is the child. And and most of the uh, memories of the alfalfa field come from Emily. And here's what she says on page 26. Um, she, Emily's writing in her book because she's going to a counselor. And so, and so the counselor's having her write in the book. And here's what she writes. I was back in the alfalfa field where the plaid dress girl with the braid used to go to feel clean again. Alfalfa had a very cleansing, fragrant aroma for me. I nestled down into a small patch of its the wispy plant with its purple flowers followed the shape of my body, and I snuggled in, and I was completely hidden. I could escape there. Nature caressed my heart and mind, and sometimes hiding was all I could do. I wondered what it felt like to be a whole girl. I longed to feel those girl, like one of those girls where nobody made you feel dirty. I would never know. I gazed up into the blue sky. That must be where God is, I thought. And I wondered about that God all the time. And I wondered why he hated me so much. That's page 26. That gives you a taste of the alfalfa field. Survival. That is how I survived during that time. 
Wow, powerful, powerful words. When you talk about the broken pieces of glass, I it makes me just think about how abuse literally breaks your spirit and it breaks your soul. This breaks Absolutely. You, breaks your heart, breaks your mind. It just, you know, it's very, 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 very hard to deal with. And um, you talk about recovery and, you know, all the work that you're doing in the community. I think that's awesome. Um, you talked a little bit about the pins and the uh, tele-evangelists and all of that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, what the was book your started there. And uh, I hope you don't get mad at me naming names here, but the reason of the whole thing that set it off was the Donald J. Trump uh, Access Hollywood tape where he said, um, it's okay, you can just walk up and grab them by the P word and, and, and they don't mind. Right. That was the, that was the 2016 election and that statement, I didn't know where I was at. I mean, I went into PTSD. I couldn't eat. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, I didn't go to work for a week and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I had a very dear, I was lucky. I had a very dear friend who was a counselor and she said to me, Edna Wright, and Alpha, Alpha Girl is, this, this is the book. This is what happened. I sat down to write. Wow. Yeah, that was very triggering for a lot of people. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, a lot of different things that were said. Um, I think right now, you know, with TV and social media, <clears throat> there's just so, so much access to to hear people's perverted thoughts, and it's very hard. Right. Very triggering. Right. Now, that's not a part of my history, but I do understand it as being um, as being a part of uh, as being a part of the dynamics that are out there now, which makes it actually, in my view, harder. Yeah. Since it's been so prevalent with everybody, and um. um Personally, I have a lot of issues with it. This is Kim, and I have a whole family that believes differently than me. And I can't get them to understand, and I think one of, I was just talking to Dr. Nancy about this before we came on, is one of the things is I didn't tell a whole lot of people at all until I was in my 50s about my past. And so, like, none of my children knew or, or anything. And um, and so they're all trying to catch up at this point, and, you know, I don't think they want to, they don't want to face the fact. Oh, because oh, they've so sorry shel- that. sheltered for so long. You know, it's been, it's been yeah, it's, I mean, it's not about me. <laughs> not, this is your show. But I was just saying, you know, that is hard because you need oh, to be able hard. to have people around you that you can, you know, rely on. And, and um and it has driven a big wedge in our family. I have three children and, and actually grew up unbelieved opposite of what everybody else says, you know. So it's just like, I raised you. How does that happen? Yeah. But they don't get that. They don't have that personal link like, like we do, exactly what you said. And I, it was an aha moment, really, when you said that. So, Well, but let's yeah. go back to that because... My children have been very supportive. They may not understand, but I've invited them to 
ask any questions they want. I've been very forthright. I do not give names. I don't say who the perpetrators were. I don't have to do that. I don't, there's no yeah. reason. Um, all of my perpetrators are dead. Um, I don't have mm-hmm. to do who the perpetrators were. Um, it's no. what, the message is to make the make surroundings safe for children. That's my message. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. So we have a lot in common that way too. So I just love that that you that you are out educating people to be better. I, have you ever heard of darkness to light, Edna? Have you never ever heard of what? Darkness to light. It's called darkness no. to light. Keywords of children. So that's what I do. I've been no. doing that. I've, I've been an instructor for many years, and we we. Uh, believe the exact same thing that you're saying is it is the adult's responsibility and we need to educate adults a lot better so that they know how to protect children and keep an eye out for this kind of thing and and not think it's the you know stranger in the bushes and as long as you're walking your kids to school you're fine which is what I did you know I I had that in the back of my mind I never made it known but I wouldn't let my kids walk to school alone and we lived in the same neighborhood as the school and they never could understand it. And I'm like, just believe me, I'm going with you. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, yeah, yeah, it's hard, too, yeah. But I'm no, sorry. It's more than hard. It's, it's debilitating. It's debilitating. And uh, um, I have a friend, if you want, I have a friend, Maggie, who wrote um, after um, one of my, one of my, uh, presentations she wrote a little kind of response to the book and to the crimes and if you want I, I I just have a couple of lines of that here with me if you want me if you don't mind my sharing that with you oh not at all what is her her name in her book do you want to share that she doesn't have a book her name's Maggie she's my friend oh and shout out to my oh, friend, friend Maggie okay. I'm gonna say. yeah oh okay <laughs> no okay. need no, yeah. no more than that um but she talks about the book and, and the things, and it goes back to wanting to bring people to an understanding. And so here's what Maggie says. I thought she, she had the most enlightened, enlightening read of, of the book of anyone I, that I encountered in uh, all of the presentations that I did. And here's what she says. She says, one of the things I most liked about Alfalfa Girl is how you gave us a kaleidoscope view of the abuse. This was not just one story. We meet Jenny at age 15 when she already has a history of abuse but knows she needs to be protected and is learning to articulate that need. She needs help in doing that. Now Emily, Emily, Jenny is the little girl, remember, and Emily is the grown-up and so Emily is the mentor. So then um, Maggie goes on to say, the Emily story gives us not just the story of her life, as child victim and how she overcame it and grew into an accomplished woman. Yet it also shows how, us how that confidence can be swept away in a moment by PTSD. And then she goes on to say, this method of sharing girl and women in various parts of naming the crime is freeing and healing. And I think her observation is stellar. I want to read that last part again. The method mm-hmm. of sharing girls, because I think some of you are doing that. I hear, I understand that 
some of you are doing this, and that's why I wanted to bring Maggie's work forward, because this method of sharing girls and women in various parts of naming the crimes is freeing and healing. So I want mm-hmm. everyone to understand that, that that Maggie shared with me. Thank you for sharing right. that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it is, I love that. sharing your story. Sharing your story gives you a sense of empowerment. You're, you're taking back that power. You're not walking in shame. You're walking in freedom. And it's just, yeah. you know, it's very therapeutic and it's, it's part of recovery for a lot of us. So, um, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. I did want to um, ask you a little bit more. I know you were talking about some of the politicians, some of the comments that were made, but you also said some of the uh, evangel- evangelists, also did the same. So can you talk yeah. to us a little bit about that part? Yeah. yeah the, some of those quotes I gave you were televangelists saying those things. That was back in 2016, and I, I, I quite frankly shut them off, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know if they're saying that kind of stuff anymore or not. But um, um, in, in, in the book, there are two poems. I actually tried to start writing in uh, 1980, and there are two poems in the book. And the poems are called The Blue Trousers and The Blue Skirts. And The Blue Trousers are men. That uh, It's about the men who protect the abusers, mm-hmm. the criminals. And um, I can share those with if you like. Uh, and the blue skirts, because women do it too. Um, so I can share a little bit of that if you want me to. The perpetrators, um, blue trousers. Blue trousers are all sizes and ages. Troll for the innocent. Sports smug faces superior in their minds. Blue trousers everywhere. Run corporations, our rich, our poor, everyday workers, politicians. Blue trousers wear a badge. Some wear a uniform. Some are clergy, some are teachers. Blue trousers wander, find easy access, wear suits of power. Troll for girls, troll for teens, troll for women, troll to hurt females, troll for the weak, troll for the vulnerable, troll for the anguished, troll and troll and troll. Blue trousers, weapons, vicious hands and fingers, charm that curdles like sour milk. Power, penis invade, damage and destroy. Blue trousers, ugly tools. Fools betray, fool, disguise, blue trousers, many, everywhere, go undetected, unsuspected, freely, victims cower, cry, bleed inside, feel dirty, untouchable forever, yearn to feel clean, whole if ever, blue trousers clueless, do not care, and do not ever pay. Well, that's kind of the summary of what you're asking me about the, you know, the evangelicals and the, well, that whole list that I just gave you, I wanted you to know that I had a very thorough, and I started writing that in 1980, and I, and I just mm. wasn't in a place back then to go any further. I could not have written this book in 1980. It, it, it just would not have come to me. So whatever, whatever plan God had for me back then was a plan that, uh, wanted me to wait until 2016, I guess. And then, and then I, and then I want to, the other 
the other short, shorter poem is called Blue Skirts. And blue skirts do not lead, cower beside, behind their men. Blue skirts spout platitudes and Bible verses and clean their kitchens and comfy homes. And blue skirts accomplishes blue skirts most harmful. Are women, too? How? Oh, are tramp callers and front row deniers. And blue skirts' voices lie from shame, from shameful safety. Blue skirts assail victims, are the lie keepers. The deceit protectors, blue skirts accuse, retaliate, blue skirts live blind, inflict pain from suburbia, blue skirts bereft of penis pain like that. So, and that's, you know, that's the, oh, Uncle Charlie, he wouldn't hurt you. You do not know how many stories I've been told in my workshops where the women knew what was going on. The mothers or the aunts or the cousins or somebody knew. Oh, I forgot the rest of Why do you think? Denial, 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 denial. denial. Blue skirts, small, false sunshine. Own no tears for their crimes. And what was the question, dear? Why do you think that some of these women, which is true because I, I went through that too, why do you think that some of these adults, know about the abuse and turn a blind eye? Is it like uh, just from history, what they've been through? Because we're talking about back in the days, right? So back yeah. in the days where I grew up, we had the outside toilets, a lot of what you're saying. I mean, right now, social media, I'm not I'm not going to get off topic, but life is very different than it was back then. So, uh, you know, now we have more knowledge, we have more awareness, but we also are more exposed. So there's a good and a bad today and then there's a good and a bad of the days before which was the silence of it but then that hush hush of it why do you think that some of these women knew and didn't say anything when you speak to some of these women what do you what are you getting from them um i get it again and again and again i in my research what i found out about that is that uh um religious there's religious reasons um they um ignorance um Submissive. There was a level of submissiveness way back in the day, and mm-hmm. the submissiveness, uh, loyalty, you know, a, a loyalty that we don't probably don't understand today. Um, oh yeah. Survival. Um, telling a wife telling on a man might mean she ends up in the street and can't support herself. So there were economic reasons, public shame reasons, spiritual shame reasons. And and just plain, one of the things that I found out about women, like in the 70s and 80s that I talked to, nobody had the vocabulary. I mean, think about that. I mean, I can say penis, I don't care, but nobody was saying it back then. And so they didn't have the capacity because of social mores, because of religious training because of lack of education because of all of those things and uh Mm -hmm. in fact what i have in front of me is one of the pieces of research that i did is called 12 walls that prevent abuse survivors from ever telling but it also talks about anybody telling why they tell why they don't tell uh facing condemnation um creating barriers within families uh don't tell, don't tell. You know, we go back and again and again, ladies, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. 
And right. It comes to that again and again and again. Um, and a lot of times they were told the same thing, not to tell, the same abuse. Right. Exactly. Right. I just had that happen in one of my workshops last summer. There were I had two school teachers, and a child was telling them about her abuse, and so. Um, they took it to the superintendent, and the superintendent said, "Nope, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. That's that's a powerful person in the community, um, and don't tell. That's that's not gone away. That was last summer that that woman, those two teachers, told me that story. So that has not gone away. Um, no, it's power. It's ridiculous. I Pardon me." I experienced that as well in in my area when I've been out there trying to educate. And um, somebody said something about, you know, well, a friend of mine who was a parish that she knew of two guys that were parish as well at her school who she felt was being inappropriate after taking my class. She figured it out. She's like, definitely, I've got to say something. They were both let go from that school, and nobody was told anything about what happened or why they were let go. And I said, and she's in a different school district. I said, they can turn around and just come right over here into this school district, and nobody's going to say anything. So you're right. I mean, I was just making that point. Of, it still is. They're just yep. passing it off to a different school district, and I'm like, this is the school district that my grandkids are in. You know, I don't want him over right. here. They need to be telling people. Now, no, we can't do that because he's not convicted, and we just think he's inappropriate. Well, then say something. That's not right. Inappropriateness well, and, means so much more than long, what people want. And look how long churches just shuffled the churches would shuffle off their problem mm-hmm. person, their perpetrator, to another community. I mean, there was no end to that happening. I heard that story quite a few times from people participants in my um in my group. Um so sad. It's so sad. And I know that when for you know we uh, uh, Dr. Nancy and I have talked about this before and I think I've and I know I've said it on online that um my mom when I told her at fifteen that my stepdad had sexually abused me that she said to me, it just happened. So I believe in her mind, she didn't necessarily, she didn't know any different. It happened to her, it happened to, and she chose not to, but that's the key. She chose not to learn any different. Where at that point in my life, I knew it wasn't right. And I didn't want it to keep going on, which it didn't at that point, but she chose to stay with him and said, it happened. You know, so I decided to when I got pregnant with my daughter, it wasn't going to just happen. I was going to make sure that it doesn't just happen. So, yeah. Well, and some of that, some of that, um, let me let me let me address that in two ways. Um, some of that is economic. I mean, some of it, you know, looking back for women of the time, some of that was economic. But I, and I want to um, share something with you. Actually, oh, she was the breadwinner yeah. in our family. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she was the one oh, that yeah. he was home most of the time. That's how he was able to abuse me. He'd be home 
yeah. quite a bit. Of and the, the capacity. Maybe. And there, and there's some intellectual capacity also enters in here, although I don't want to get off on, you know, we'll get calls if I go down that road. But, uh, yes, you know, if, just do not have the capacity. Just do not have the capacity. And so, which is an explanation to what we were looking for. But I want to read something to you that uh, um, I wrote. It's on page 196 of 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 my book, and it's about the human spirit. It seems like a, this would be a good place to fit it in. The human spirit can be a fragile thing. It can be delicate and easily beaten down, but there is no mistaking what happens to it when a little caring is spread around. It is less than too often lost on many people. The opportunity to so is kindled, and sometimes by even a small gesture, it seems to me. And so that human spirit, the beating down of the human spirit uh, um, enters into there. What I think someone addressed that earlier. What happens to our human spirit is, uh, and for me, yeah. that, play, that was huge. That was huge for me. Yeah, it, it, it breaks our spirit. It breaks our soul. It breaks our heart. It breaks our mind. It, it just breaks us. Yeah, shattering. It's it through a window. Very shattering. Right. In the book, one of the things I had one of the things I had to do in the, was to um, I wanted to reconcile. Say, how do you get? Because it's along this line that we're talking that made me think of it. That how how am I gonna how am I gonna reconcile the adult? Emily or the adult Edna with the dirty, filthy little child. And in the book on page 70 and 71, what I used there was a technique where I used trying to fix the branch on a tree. And so that fixing a branch on the tree, um, Emily, the, the guidance counselor, has her imagine fixing this branch on a tree. And so she does that. And she comes out of that, and, and there's a couple passages here I think that are important to, to our discussion. So she has her think of that, and so Emily is thinking of it and thinking of it, thinking of it, and and uh, she she opens her eyes and she starts to cry, and she said, "Oh, it was Alfalfa Girl. It was Alfalfa Girl. It was Alfalfa Girl who fixed it. It was Alfalfa Girl." And uh, that capacity that I talked about, about being able to heal, um, it was, and so the counselor says, Emily, Emily, it is you. It was always you. That little girl with the braids and the plant hand-me-down dress is how you made it all this way, she said. Alfalfa girl, alfalfa girl, alfalfa girl. And she starts to cry. And then the counselor says, Emily, in this whole healing process, this is, this is the page of the book where I wanted to express that. Emily, the wonderful parts of Alfalfa Girl are still with you. When you find them, write each one down. Your trauma prevents you from seeing all the wonderful things you need to feel again about that little Alfalfa Girl. You need to find every part of her. It will help you in your journey. And that was one of the ways that I, that I in the book, I, I wanted to... Um, be able to express reconciliation is kind of what I was looking for there. 
Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That was beautiful. I want to um, just kind of check again with the panel if anyone has any questions or any comments about everything that was said, if you want to share something since we're on this topic. I know Ms. Lori shared earlier. Um, Ms. Lori, would you like to say anything else? Basically, um taking in a lot of information from a different angle, still thinking I'm I'm like a cheerleader for you because you're like amazing. <laughs> I think that you should go all around. You write so well. You you're so active. You're so dynamic. Um and you're not and you're still going strong. No, uh, no, no. I, I let me correct that right now because I am retired. I came out of retirement to do this program. I did too, and look where we are. I did too, and look where we are. I just I don't I'm, ever come out. Yeah, stay in retirement because you've got the wisdom that the younger generations have to get up to. You have it. We need it. So we need mm-hmm. you, people. We need you. Well, I appreciate that. That's very kind. I have one last passage that somewhere tonight I want to read to you, and it's <clears throat> it's a letter to Alfalfa Girl. So sometime, it's a bit long, but uh, somewhere along the line I would like to share the letter to Alfalfa Girl with you. So you let me know when that will be an okay time. Okay, that would be perfect. In one minute, if... These last two people, thank you, Ms. Uh, Lori, for sharing. We appreciate it, and uh, we hope to have you again soon. We have two other people on the panel, but, again, um, they have uh, just the headsets on. But I just want to say, if you'd like to share the number, I'm going to call out uh, the number ending in 7590. If you would like to share, please feel free to speak and share with us. That number ending in 7590. Are you okay. talking to me? This is Edna. Are you talking to me? Uh, you said this is, uh, no, 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 not Miss Edna, but somebody's number okay. is ending in 7590. Okay. So they probably just want to listen. Or did you want to say something? Okay. And then there's another number ending in 7265. Your mic is open if you'd like to say something. 7265. Number ending, phone number ending in 7265. Okay. Hello. So I, yes, ma'am? Uh, well, Edna told me about this. Um this conference, and uh, she told me not to say anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you uh, want to share? Make a yeah, we. Uh, I grew up with Edna. I've known her all my life, and she's a wonderful person. So proud oh, of her. <laughs> so proud of oh. her, and um, I love her book. I've read it a couple times, and if you haven't read it, you need to read it. That's all I have to say. Bye-bye. Ooh.
And to what's Thank that? You. I don't know who that was. That was uh, the 7265. Do you have a nickname that she may know you by or some way for her to know who you are? Uh, Edna, it's Marilyn. Okay. It's who? Marilyn. Marilyn. Oh, Olsen, oh, my God, Marilyn. oh, my God, Marilyn. Oh, my God, Marilyn. Oh, my God, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. You're welcome. You I'm so off. proud of you. <laughs> so proud well, of you, and I love, love the book. I love the book. I love you too, honey. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, that made me cry. <laughs> Marilyn. Oh, thank goodness. you. Uh, last but not least, we have, again, uh, the number ending in 7046. If you want to say any kind words to Miss Edna, please feel free to join us. Oh, it's my mom. We're just listening. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love that. Oh, oh my God. You have a lot of love. Yes, I see a few other people on here. So you have, you know, you have a lot of people here supporting you, Miss Edna. You're doing a great job. Um, I'm going to just go back to... You know, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the support. It's always so appreciated and, and so welcomed. As you can see her expression, she's very happy. So we want to thank you again. Ms. Edna, I know you wanted to read a poem or you wanted to read a part of the book. Are you yes, ready? Yes, I do. I want to, yeah, when, yes, I am. This is a letter to Alfalfa Girl. I actually, when I was recovering, one of my counselors had me write a letter to the child. And again, that trying to reconcile that dirty, filthy child or that child that feels dirty and filthy um, to the adult that's trying to figure out who the hell she is. Uh, and so here's the letter that uh, Emily writes in the book to Alfalfa Girl. And it goes like this. Dear Alfalfa Girl, I want you to know that you're safe with me now that I've really found you. I am sorry that I did not know you for so many years. I am sorry that I did not recognize all of the important hurt and pain that you carried for me when I simply could not. Grown-ups failed us both so many times. Grown-ups, both men and women, created the hushed environments where we could not tell anyone that we were getting hurt again and again. They did not respect our innocence or our childhood. I can't tell you why, because I don't know why. You were always there for me. Every single time a man or a boy decided to violate me, and I would not be here today if it were not for you. So thank you. Thank you for being the brave one. Thank you for being the one with the courage, and thank you for finding our alfalfa spot to escape, to rest, and recover. I would not be here without it. My very spirit would have died from shame. I would have died from degradation. I would have died from dehumanization. So I have so much to thank you for. 
I promise you, I will be the one to build a safe spot for you from now on. No one will be able to hurt us like that ever again. I promise I will stay connected with you always. And you were a good little girl. You did absolutely nothing wrong. You did nothing to cause any of these bad things to happen to you. I always thought that we did. I was wrong. Most of my life, I was just plain wrong about that because I blamed us. I'm so sorry the grown-ups made it impossible to speak our truth or to tell our pain or to even understand or forgive ourselves. I am so sorry for all of it. I promise not to blame. I promise not to carry guilt. I promise not to allow rejection of us. I promise not to let anyone hurt like us like that ever again. And if they try, I promise we will respond appropriately. I promise to continue to seek healing for us. And most of all, I promise to love you forever, even though I did not know how to do that for so many terrible years. Love, Emily. Wow. Wow. Where did that come from? Where did this peace come from? Why were you so connected? Why were you so connected to that? The power, you know, people feel shame and survivors, victims have to carry this shame. Can you just explain to us what you read a little bit about what you just read? Well, because I think survival, my dear Mm -hmm. friend, survival meant being able to reconcile. Carrying around... Carrying around the dirty, filthy little girl got me nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it produced a whole bunch of behaviors that I'm not proud of. It produced a whole bunch of stuff yep. in my life that was painful and ugly and terrible. And so yep. I had to find a way to reconcile that child. And so that, that really is a very important part of the book. The part of the book where Emily puts the tree branch back together with a turning point and this letter of reconciliation to a very wounded child was crucial. And and in my view, in terms of writing, let me let me step out with my authors for a moment. As the author, I could not tell this story without providing an instrument for people to understand that in order for a person to be one they have to reconcile that that ugly part within themselves. Mm-hmm. It cannot happen, in my view, and based on the research I did, by the way. Mm-hmm. I want to so give true. some credit and go back to mm-hmm. the, the uh, brick through the glass window and talk mm-hmm. a minute about all of the researchers that I that I did when I researched my book, one of the people I settled on was a man by the name of Bethel Vanderkalk. And the reason I, that, that I settled, settled on Vanderkalk was because he talked about a fear-driven brain, seeing danger where there isn't any, having your trust shattered, your self-image, and no normal. And I identified, as I was reading his research, I went, oh, my God. Oh, my God, that's Alpha Girl. 
So, um, yeah. You said something very powerful. It's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. A lot of times victims carry that weight, and they they feel guilty. They feel like they approved the abuse because they didn't tell. I hear a lot of um, survivors today when we talk about it have that guilt that they had to carry when they were children, that the perpetrator, like you said, tries to use certain words or people will try to use certain words to, to make it pretty. And, um, and there's a lot of weight that goes, that goes on the survivor. And that's the reason why we have a lot of survivors or victims, really, that are still stuck in that victim, um, in that place of victimhood, um, take their lives and die by suicide. Right. What's yes. your thought about that? Well, that way? there is, there, yep, there is, there is, I was suicidal. I went through that. It's, um, mm-hmm. I went through that. Mm-hmm. I think God had, God had another plan for me, so. Definitely. You talk about that. Do you have a, a personal relationship with God? Absolutely. Does and that it's help not you get through? And it's not a normal one. <laughs> That's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. Did that help you survive? That relationship help? Um, well, like I said, not early on. You know, that whole conflict with the church. I, I would say early on, no. No, no, it, no, it, no. That wasn't part of it at all back then. Um, the writing of the book, and I'll come back to that again because the writing of the book was a game changer, and it was, um, in many ways, the spiritual side of who I am would not be where I am today without the book. It never would have happened. And so the book came, when I talk about that relationship, then mm-hmm. then you have to look at, yeah, but um, time. Like you said before, the book wasn't ready to come out earlier on. It came out at the perfect time. It flowed yeah. at the perfect time when it was needed the most. It came out strong, and it came out at the perfect time. You wouldn't have been able to do it the way you did it. Like you did that. And, that and what's so important about what you say is that um, in God's time, not in my time. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't planning. I wasn't planning on sitting down and writing this book. And then I want to right. refer you back to page 28 where I read, um, hmm. uh, so I gazed up in the blue sky. That must be where God is, I thought. I wonder about that God all the time, and I wonder why he hated me so so you see, the book will take you through that progression mm-hmm. a little at a time, a little at a time. Right. Now, that's is in God's time, not my time. Yep, God's time, uh, not our time. <laughs> I know, um, and just really quickly, I know I, I wrote a book in 2017. I had the book in me my whole life, but it came out in 2017, and it yep. came out at the right time when it needed to come out. And so the right time is God's time. Yes. So I agree with you 110%. Ms. Tim? What is the name of your book? 
So my book is called My Costa Rican Hummingbird Sings, Breaking the Bondage and Answering the Call. And, um, and it, it came out at the perfect time. And, and, you know, I have to put it back online, um, but definitely is a very, it had a lot of spiritual warfare. It had a lot about um, suicide prevention and, you know, surviving mm-hmm. it and just a lot. I mean, and, and surviving um, child sexual abuse and just the, the road that you go through in the recovery of life. And it's just very difficult road. And so, um, you know, a lot of what you're saying, many of us on the call can relate to. But you're hitting a very strong point that we definitely... I did yeah. not catch the name of the book. So if I give you my email, can you email it to me? Yes, ma'am. What's your email? For anybody listening, <laughs> what's your email? Um, byedna at gmail.com. B-Y-E-D-N-A at gmail.com. By Edna at gmail.com. All right. Yep. Thank you. I will definitely send it to you. I appreciate your asking. All right, Miss Kim, I know that this is an area yeah. of specialty as well, so I wanted to make sure that we heard from you. Yes, ma'am. I know. Yeah, I was going to say Dr. Nancy knows that I, um, I love it when people yeah. talk about their face because I do think that face is a big part of my story anyway and and I think that once the foundation was there and I was I was sent to Sunday school on a school bus so that my parents could sleep in so I I also didn't have a whole lot of guidance but I think that that foundation definitely helped me to be able to get to the point where I'm at today where I'm not well I mean there's still days I feel crazy but <laughs> you know there's there's still those days but um, be able to forgive and, you know, move forward. And and I actually have forgiven to the point that, um, well, my stepdad and I are the only ones left in our family. Everybody else has passed away. And um, and so I kind of watch over him. There's been a lot, there's been times, especially earlier, my mom's been gone now for 20 years, so right after she died for sure, um, there was this, feeling of I had to take care of him and at the time he was li- my my parents had their my mom my mom's brother living with them and my brother their, their son living with them and so then when she died there were three men living there and they just I mean it was it was a disaster area but um because okay. none of them have ever been none of them were ever taught how to live I mean, it was my mom who who carried all three of those men, all three of them. And her brother, I'm surprised, is still living. I don't know how that happens. But, um, but yeah, she carried all of them, and she enabled all of them. And so they oh, were sure. completely lost. I mean, we were all completely lost, but, you know, oh, she sure. definitely enabled them. Yeah, to the point that um, it was detrimental and my brother struggled and struggled for quite a while before he passed away, and he was actually happy right before he passed away and um, was kind of on a good path, didn't have to pay his ex-wife child support anymore. <laughs> that lasted about two months, I think, unfortunately, before he passed away. But but um, but I do, I, I watch out for him, and but I tell him because he wanted to move in with me. That's what I was getting at before. He, he, he'd say things like, 
you know, you should take care of me. I should move into your basement. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. He made the choice when I was 12 years old to abuse me. So, no, there will be no living in my house when you're elderly. It's not going to happen. And there have been, you know, along the way, because he's very, he's got so many illnesses. And um, I, I say that he, too, will live past to be because I don't, I don't know how she's living. But um, he's got a lot of things going on with him. And there are, there are times, you know, that I have to step back. It's just too much. And yep. um, he's only, I mean, but we put this into context. He's 72. You're 71 and you're doing all this stuff. He can barely move. He's like a hundred year old man at 72. And so, you know, yeah, it's like he doesn't ever try either to, to do anything different. And he's pretty much just pouted and, you know, grieved my mom because she was everything. She made him who he was. I mean, he really wasn't. Very much, she was the breadwinner and all that stuff too. But um, but I've told him how I'll make sure that you're taken care of. But you're not moving into my house. That's not happening. <laughs> so I have I've had to set boundaries. Yeah, set those boundaries. And I think I think and it was hard. Know, yeah, um, it's hard for, especially I think victims and survivors. I think um, boundaries are hard. Boundaries yeah. are very hard. Because we've had and I started talking about him. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I was talking. I so I'm out talking about him, and I haven't written a book, but I've written inserts into a couple books. And um, one of the one that we're I'm working on right now with with my book club that's coming out is um, titled "Resilience: The Tenacity of a Little Girl and Becoming an Adult Driver." And so that's my title in the book that is going to be published here in a couple months. But um, and you said something that kind of yeah. I wish you'd put together a book title list. I wish NASCA pass this on to the people at the top. Put together (laughs) unless there is one and I don't know about it. No, I don't think Bill's ever done that, but I don't, I don't, I think he's kind of on retirement mode now, too, a little bit. <laughs> he handed over the the duties of hosting the show, and um, he still listens, you know, quite a bit, but I doubt he'd want to do that. But maybe that's well, something that we could do, you know, that we could do. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. He, well, he, if he doesn't listen right now, then he listens later, because he pretty much listens to all of the shows, I think, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a great idea. Hello, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you can start it, Edna. Come on, you've written a book. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is started. <laughs> I did Miss friend you on Facebook. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it doesn't look like I can friend you. So I'm going to send you a message. So if you get a message from Kim Lakin, that's me. Okay? Okay. okay. Please share her page with me, Miss Kim, when you get a chance. Miss Edna, you know, what do you have to say about the power of forgiveness? Have you forgiven these people? Can you talk a little um, bit about the power of forgiveness? Well, I'm hesitating because I don't know if I have or not. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know. That's 
going to be, I, well, let me tell you what I think that is. That's one of those pieces of glass that's the tiny mm-hmm. little grain of sand that, um, mm-hmm. that I actually don't know. I haven't given much thought. Okay, that's okay. Everybody's, you know, in different places in the in that process. It's a lot, you know. It's a lot to process, a lot going on. And, you know, you're doing the work. And I think that that's really what the focus, if that's where your energy is, in giving out love and giving out hope and supporting others and holding others by the hand in their journey, if that's where your spirit is and your energy is, then that's great. That's already in the pain. That's part part of the forgiveness. Well, I do think that uh, I don't disclose the names. Mm -hmm. And in its own way, that might be, if I looked at that as one of the little sand um, shards of glass, it's the the size of a grain of sand, that would probably be another one because I, I don't disclose the names. I could have done that. I've been asked many, many times about that, but I don't do that. And part of that is that they all have families. You know, they're, they, the, the, the perpetrators all have families, and um, it's not going to help me recover. It's not going to help me at all if I disclose a name and destroy that family in the process. Mm-hmm. It's just, I do so it's still that guilt that we I, have to carry. Well, I'm not, I don't feel guilty about it. I didn't know to do it to get well. well. Maybe not the guilt, but that protecting the person, like protecting them, still worrying about them, like your heart's so big that you don't want to cause that ripple effect even outside of your own world into their world. Like you're still caring enough to protect the family. Well, yeah, I have I have seen so much pain in my lifetime. Yes that I don't want to be one more person who does that. I don't have to be. Uh, You don't have to. Because it goes back to taking care of oneself. Mm -hmm. That's okay. What I um, realized for me was, um, I guess for me, when I, and this is really short, I'll just say this, for me, my situation was different because it was someone in my family. Um, so I'll say that part right there. And so when I started to tell, um, nobody believed me. Like people were like, oh, right. she's just being a troublemaker. She didn't, nobody believed me. So I had to deal with that stress of that at a young age. But then later on, um, it happened to my sister and she took her life. And so everybody cool. deals with the stress of it very differently and then I had that guilt like uh, maybe I should have kept on pushing and I could should have kept on telling so that she would have found to know that she wasn't alone and so then I had to carry that other burden um after because the depression you know everybody deals with that type of secret like you said there's women that come up to you who are in their 70s crying they've never told I've had older women yeah. come and crying they've never no, told they tell them the yeah yeah I so yeah. this is very, very I want to read something along yeah. this line in terms of 
um, that inner that inner piece of for all of us. That's on page mm-hmm. 114 in the book. The soul okay. survives somehow. It's and I always say that God wrote this because I was writing and crafting and editing, and I was coming to go back to the whole God thing here. I was writing and crafting and coming along with this um, in my book, mm-hmm. and um, and all of a sudden this passage popped out on the page. So for this, for this mm-hmm. and other parts of our discussion tonight, I want to read this piece. The soul survives somehow. Its reality struts and fades as it needs to do. It clings like a scared suckling baby if it has to. It weeps and it laughs. It warps and it straightens with tears of joy. It seldom remains static. It stretches, it recoils, it faints in despair and glows in miracle moments and finds solitude in dusk and euphoria in sunrise. It eases along its way, riding over valleys and bumps if it must. It does not complain or brag. It never touches the meek or the strong in the same way. It is there. It is eternal reality. It is steadfast and eternal. Soul protects if it must and withers quickly when driven mercilessly hard. And that's, that just appeared on my page when I was writing. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful. Um, where did you get the inspiration for that part of it? I just told you. It popped on my page. There was, there was no inspiration. Oh, it just popped up on your page. Oh, it just popped on my page. See, I was writing. Oh. Because for me, writing is editing and crafting. Yeah. I taught English composition at the at the uh, college level for about 15 years. So I'm doing my writing thing. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I'm writing, and I look down, and that passage is there. And I went, wait, wait, wait. I didn't compose that. I did not compose mm-hmm. that. So I always say that God wrote that passage. Mm-hmm. It just flowed oh, right at me. Yeah, I didn't even, it wasn't crafted or composed in the same way that the rest of the book was. Right. God put that right in your spirit. Wow. Yep. Very powerful. We have, um, thank you for sharing that, Ms. Edna. That was uh, a very strong piece. It is now, you have two minutes before the show ends. So if you would like to share where people can get a, uh, get a hold of you, where they can find your book, that would be great. And any other words you'd like to share? Well, no, my book can be found online. Um, mm-hmm. If you just Google Edna Saylor and Alfalfa Girl, then then it'll mm-hmm. come up online. And it's available in a number of different places. Um Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that's good. If people want to find you, should they email you? Are well, you on LinkedIn? Email, I want. Yeah, I don't want phone number out there, but email. It's by Edna B Y E D N A at Gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. People can contact me there. Yep. And any words of hope or encouragement you want to say? We got a minute left. Well, you know, the hope, um, the hope in the book um, was with the little dog in the, in the past, you know, the, the little dog 
um, in the book, toward the end of the book, there's a, I use the dog, the little dog, the little service dog. And um, I was just trying to find that page. I can't find it right off the top. We'll have to have you back so that you can read it again. <laughs> yes, we'll definitely have to have you back. Thank so you I would so much, Edna. Yep. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Anytime you're part of the Nazca family, and we'd love to have you come on anytime. If you want to be a part okay. of the family, you can just call in. And I'll keep and that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. And I just sent you a message on Facebook. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been my great yes, pleasure to be with you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just said it's been my great pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. I send you an email as well. And thank you to the family, everybody, and the friends for listening. We really appreciate the support and the love. And everyone out there tonight, good night. See something, see something, yep. Good night. Good night. I'll know tomorrow, cause that's gone With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.